You're listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast championing independence powered by The Famous Company. Whether you're an artist or music industry professional, ensure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Luke, welcome to the podcast. Really, really glad to uh, have you here today. How's it going? Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad at all. Um, right off the uh, this, I just want to say um, just a, a quick something. I'll, uh, I want to be brutally honest in this podcast. I've had near 10 years experience maybe more in the industry i've done um music videos sold out tours festivals or whatever but um i know nothing about music law <laughs> <laughs> and i i won't name drop but I, I i'm telling you something people i know who have had more experience than i have and i've had more success than i have don't know the first thing either so i am so excited to have you here today and uh hopefully we can uh, break down a few things for uh some up-and-coming artists who uh who yeah. definitely would need that knowledge happy to help brilliant um so you've got your uh practice um english media you specialize yeah. in media tech and commercial law um Sweet. how did you get your start with um this entertainment industry and, and was it always kind of your first go-to? Um, so yeah, here we go. Um, many moons ago, um, uh, I got a law degree like a lot of people do when they want to get a career in law. Um, you then have to, uh, if you want to be a solicitor, uh, then you go to a course called the legal practice course. And then after that, um, the aim is to then get what's called a training contract. Um, which is a bit like an apprenticeship, um, and they then give you experience in different types of law. Um, and then at the end of that, um, if, if they like you and if you're good enough, then, um, then you're then qualified. Um, but to get that training contract is difficult because um, there's obviously lots of law graduates out there. Um, so uh, I attempted, as soon as I um, got my qualifications, to try and get a training contract wasn't able to immediately but I thought well whilst I'm continuing to apply why don't I get a job um, in the media industry but not necessarily working for a law firm Um, so my first job um, coming out of university was to work for the BBC Um, and my role within the BBC was to clear copyright for their programs Um, so the BBC, they make their own programs, of course, but they often buy in programs from independent production companies. Um, and those companies might not necessarily have used a lawyer. And therefore, uh, the, it's important the BBC make sure that when they um, broadcast those programs, that all the uh, copyrights cleared. Um, and that you're not going to get someone saying, you didn't ask permission for me from me to be able to air that program and therefore i'm going to sue you i'm assuming that's everything um, so first... from image to music to yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's it's all those rights so when so when you're making a, a television program if you're um using if there's a picture on the wall and it's a picasso 
you've got to find out who you know who's the uh, uh, company that owns that to then get mm. clearance to be able to show that. If you're showing a clip of a film within your program, you've got to find out who the studio is who owns that, get clearance on that. And as you mentioned, and obviously we're talking about music today, if you play any form of music that's commercial music, you've got to get clearance for that, um, along with the producer, the director, and everyone else that's involved. So it's quite a lot involved, but it's good. Yeah, it kind of goes on to a lot of people I know these days would have a, uh, a Netflix subscription or, or people in the US have um, Hulu and, and us here having BBC iPlayer and all this kind of stuff. When you've got your, especially older television series and movies, um, sometimes when you're rewatching these things, um, there's different music and they, they're playing the different music because in the 90s or early 2000s or whenever these kind of contracts that were set up were nothing to do with streaming and so they can't get the rights for it so i guess it would be even a completely different kind of scope today um yeah in, in terms of trying to get the copyright for certain things yeah as you say um uh, there's been different changes in in the medium and how we absorb different forms of entertainment um mm-hmm. And when I was working at the BBC, streaming didn't exist. Um, uh, I remember, um, just to prove how old I am, I remember seeing a demonstration of this fantastic box. And this box um, was basically the first TiVo. Um, And it was explaining of how this is the future and of how we could actually watch television without adverts in it. And of how we were all like, no, that's never going to happen. I mean, <laughs> why would someone agree to that? You know. So, and yeah, as you say, technology's moved on, moved on, moved on, and we're now all, as you say, on Netflix, on Amazon, and other streaming services. So. Yeah, no, for sure. I guess it kind of goes into my uh, my first question as well. Um, the The independent market is full of fantastic um, creatives. Um, but one thing they do to kind of capture a, a wider audience is cover or remix songs. Um, I know it's kind of changed recently and there is a few services out there that, that make things a lot easier. In terms of kind of agreements, what have you seen? Um, and, this, and this can be throughout your career or recently. Um, what have you seen in terms of like roadblocks? For, for artists who do want to cover and do want to remix other, other people's music? Yeah, it's, um, it, it's still quite a grey area, I have to say. Um, and you get advice from different people that are determining what, what you want to cover and what you're going to do. So, um, I, you know, um, uh, as you, you, well, I'm sure we'll talk about, um, I used to work for Sony Music. Um, and uh, when I was working for them, you know, One Direction was a thing. Um, and admittedly, on YouTube, you would have hundreds of thousands of, you, uh, of One Direction fans um, either singing to or mimicking playing One Direction tracks on YouTube. Now, in itself, that's fine. But actually, if we're talking about the letter of the law, they're all breaching copyright. Exactly, yeah. Um, because they do not have the rights to be able to play that master recording, which is owned by Sony, um, and then uh, air it on broadcast it on YouTube. Simple as that. Um, but studios have to make a decision. 
are we going to sue every single 13-year-old girl who loves One Direction? Or are we going to go, well, I know what, we'll, we'll leave that one because they're not necessarily doing it for commercial purposes and they're just a fan and that's, you know, in a way great for marketing. Um, but um, outside of me working for Sony and me becoming an independent media lawyer, um, I've had instances where um, I've represented a music management company and they've had takedown notices from big um, major record labels because their artists have done a cover of a particular um, well-known artist's song. Um, and the reasoning behind that, I suspect, is, well, you're commercialising our music. Mm. So, um, you know, just for example, sake, if I wanted to do a cover of a Justin Timberlake track, um, but I then wanted to put ads behind it, I then started to commercialise it, then you're more likely to get grief from record labels saying, well, you're a professional artist, you're trying to promote yourself, you're using this cover, you've not got permission to do it, and you're then monetizing it, so I've got a right to shut it down. That's that's the thing, though. You, you, you talk about the, the, the grey area now. Is it going to be... It's, it's a bit of a tough one. The 13-year-old the girl who loves One Direction is one thing. The person who potentially does have... Uh, big subscribers, um, uh, kind of a lot of reach, however, is not monetizing, are they allowed mm -hmm. to cover and put it on there or make their own uh, parody of, or to be fair, parody might even be a completely different avenue, so we can, mm -hmm. we can touch upon that in a second, but are they allowed to produce this kind yeah. of content? <laughs> not about word, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as I said, the bottom line is whether you monetize it, you don't monetize it, you're, you're, you're breaking the law because you don't own a copyright in it. And, and it's obviously a bit of a faff to go to Warner Brothers or Universal to say, hi, guys, I want to do this cover for my YouTube channel yeah. uh, and I'm not going to monetize it. Can you allow me to do it, please? Um, so uh, it, and it's difficult. Um, and as I said, um, all the labels have the right to, to, to ask YouTube to take, you, to take it down. And um, uh, what's, what's happened now is that YouTube has got designated algorithms so that they can pinpoint this music pretty quickly. Mm. Um, and they don't want grief from the labels, so they will rather shut it down and do it quickly than go to you and say, oh, have you got a license? We've not got a license. You know, is this okay? Um, so yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, but I've come across recently certain music distributors who have said, um, we have licenses with the major studios. So if you want to do a cover and you want to release that commercially, we will then help you to cover that. Um, so, you know, there are ways and means of doing it, but obviously mm -hmm. you have to go through third parties to make it happen. No, 100%. I, I do understand there's a lot of um, Christmas albums which would have various artists on who are covering major tracks. There is a huge market uh, in, in kind of uh, America and Europe, uh, something called the Punk Goes Pop, which is actually run by a label called Fearless Records that take... Uh, your modern pop chart music and they give them to these kind of rock bands to cover 
um, for their audience and it quite successfully as well. Um, however, you do get to a point where you kind of kind of tell uh, if certain artists get covered regularly or certain genres get covered regularly and, and, and it, it is those kind of partnerships behind closed doors um, that really help them. So yeah, I, I totally get that one. In terms of, of parody though, um, is there a gray area there? I know a lot of comedic YouTubers like to do this. Um, somewhat, they, they call themselves musicians. I'm happy to call them musicians. Um, it's entertaining. Um, is, is, is that allowed taking melodies and making them your own? Um, so again, um, there, there was a loophole in the law a little while ago that said um, any form of copyright, if it's a parody, you're allowed to do it. Um, uh, but there were some cases that went to court where the copyright owners said, although you think this is funny, although you think this is a parody, I don't think it is, and therefore I'm, I'm still going to take you to court. Right. Um, but... Uh, my recollection is that that's now been taken away and now actually there is nothing, you know, there is no loopholes, there is no, oh, well, I was just doing this, there's no, oh, well, I was only using 10 seconds of the clip or I was only da 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 da, da. Um, As far as I'm aware, there is no, <laughs> there's no loopholes right. anymore. Um, so, yeah, you, you roll the dice and um, I... Uh, you know, I, I, a couple of years ago, I had the privilege of meeting up with Cassette Boy, who uh, is a very well-known um, parody on uh, creator and YouTube. But um, they wouldn't allow you to film meeting them. They wouldn't allow you to know who they are really, and you know, because otherwise they know they were going to get sued. Um, yeah. So... You know they 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 do it for fun, but uh, they also appreciate that there's some seriousness behind it. What about the likes of um, a Weird Al Yankovic, or more recently, um, the Midnight Beast, uh, a group here in, in the UK who who often did covers of Kesha or or Weird Al, basically covering anyone. Um, there's no kind of backtrack there. Then I assume these things are still. From, from the past is still allowed? Yeah. I mean, um, the, the, the Weird Owl example, I suspect, although we think it's all quite fun and ad hoc, actually I suspect it's quite a, um, uh, a, a very well-oiled machine and mm -hmm. very commercialised and actually um, everything's done seriously. All the clearances are done properly. Um, although it may look, hap, you know, happed action, a bit of thumb, um, because it's a brand, and that brand's been going for some time, and they they know, you know, that they're not they're not wanting to get sued for anybody. Um, so so yeah, I mean, it, um, if you're talking about you know influencers, sometimes as, as you mentioned previously, it's what goes on in the, in the background, a little bit of smoke and mirrors. We all think it's all ad hoc, but actually, no, it's completely scripted. It's completely, you know, 100% cleared legally. Um, and, you know, but it still looks like they're just randomly making it up. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, go, going from kind of what we see in, in the public eye to, um, to, 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 to more kind of serious conversation then, um, I, I'm not too sure if, if, if you or the listener are, are aware of um, Taylor Swift's um, kind of feud um with um a label that she started on called big machine records um now owned by 
Scooter Braun, who, if you don't know who he is, a high-profile manager, of course, um, behind the likes of Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, uh, and once Kanye West. Now, in this kind of situation, I believe um, Big Machine Records was bought by by Scooter Braun for, for 300 million. Um, he now owns the, the rights to her first six uh, studio albums, a massive portion um, in the singer's career. Uh, how do situations like this happen? Uh, at the end of the day, she's not exactly allowed to perform this kind of music unless she wants to give money uh, to, 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 to the label. Uh, how, do, how do artists even get themselves in this kind of position? Um, so uh, if you're signing any record label deal, um, uh, although recently there's been a push towards doing singles and EPs and then an album, back in the day it was, I'll give you a three, four, five album deal, depending on who you are. So um, I don't know, obviously, the details particularly of that particular contract, but as you say, if five, six worth of albums are on that record label deal, um, that's what she signed up to. Now, obviously, when she signed up, she signed up to the record label. She was happy with them. She was happy with the people that were behind it. Um, now, again, I don't know the detail of the contract, but what I suspect happened is um, there, there was a missing clause, and I'll try and explain. Um, quite often in contracts, there's a, a clause called an assignment clause that says if we get bought out or if we just, or someone wants to come alongside us and create a partnership, then we as a record label are allowed to do that. You don't have any rights as the artist to stop us from doing that. All we will let you know is who the new company is going to be and then we just continue as normal. Um, so that was probably in the agreement which meant that she has no right to complain about it, nor did any other artist um, who were under that record label um, during that time that there was the buyout. Um, and it's a bit difficult because as a lawyer, if I was representing her, um, you're very, it's very hard to argue <laughs> against the record label to say, no, if you get a buyout, I want full rights. I want to be able to either take all the music back from you or... I want to be able to say no and, you know, we'll, we'll have some form of buyout deal. Mm. You've, you've got to be, you've got to be quite a powerful artist to better do that. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I, th I think realistically that, like you said, this is, these kind of things may not have been in the clause now. Now she, and the listeners can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe she was about 14 when she signed. Um, uh, and as a 14 year old unknown country singer at the time, you, you're probably not thinking, I want to be out of this contract six albums deep. So this is exactly what we're saying. These up-and-coming artists, um, these independent musicians who are hopefully listening to this, learning, it's something that you can potentially ask for now, um, but might actually put off the label um, if you start coming up with these kind of questions. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it's it's a lawyer's job, um, basically, to sit down with the artist um, and whatever age. And obviously, if she's fourteen, I would prefer to better sit down with her with her parents and make it explicitly clear what this contract's all about. Mm -hmm. um, because, as I said, I've not seen the contract, but if it was a four or five album deal, that's a big old deal. Um, you know, you don't have those sort of deals around anymore. Um, 
and so it's making sure that the artist and the parents in this instance were really clear on what they were doing because this is a long-term commitment and you know as she's saying right now well you know that's you know all of my career in that contract right now yeah um, for sure but, you know what 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 she did do and i do recall it from social media was she said well that was then and this is now so moving forward anything i write now any album i release now will be my own and i can go to whatever label i want because she's fulfilled her um obligations to that label yeah i believe she then signed to uh republic um, records and uh universal music group in 2018 um she did then go head of state and now that she actually does own the masters to, to to any recording she does um from now on um this is something as well that the likes of like sir paul mccartney and prince had rallied on for years um and you, like you said if you are at that high profile you you actually might be able to sway this um just kind of looking to my notes quickly here i, I did note down that uh, according to billboard rihanna uh bought back her masters uh from the label def jam uh last year um this is something that ray charles did Stephen wonder did uh michael jackson did before sony brought it back for an impressive 750 million um so they they are massive deals what is something that you believe though an up-and-coming artist can say or do in a negotiation uh process to actually meet these labels halfway they're not going to ask for absolutely everything, but they, they, they should no, be able to have something. The, the, the difficulty is this, that um, if you are to sign to a major record label deal, um, the, the, the general agreements that you're going to look at are you give them the masters. Um, in exchange for the masters, you get a royalty. Um, and, and that's the swap, really. Um, because they will say, particularly if you're an up-and-coming or unknown artist, we've got nothing to base this on as to whether this is going to make any money or not. Um, and if we own the masters, you know, for length of copyright, you know, long period of time, um, then we've got half a chance of recouping any advance we've given you. Um, but if we don't own the masters, or we've got to give you the masters back after five years, then kind of what's the point of us getting out of bed because we don't know whether we're going to make any money out of this. Um, but as you say, if you are a Rihanna, if you're a Taylor Swift, um, then and you have made a career out of music and you've made millions out of music, then you've got an opportunity to be able to go to the major labels and say, I know you do own my masters, but if I gave you a lump sum of millions, then can I have them back, please? Um, but yeah, as an up-and-coming artist, nobody has those sort of funds and nobody really has that sort of power. Um, so it's it's very difficult. Um, you, you might be able to reduce the length that uh, they're allowed to own the masters for, but yeah, you, you've, you've got to, um, they've got to really want you to better do that. Almost Famous, championing independence across the music industry. No, for sure. I think I think growing up myself, I never really saw the um, the label as a as a business, so to speak. You you start playing music because it's it's a passion thing of yours. Um, but you and and this is to anyone who's lucky enough to kind of have had the, the similar experiences to mine. You you very early on realize, oh, hang on, this is basically someone saying, here's some money, 
Um, I want to invest very much like Dragon's Den. I want to actually put this forward to you for a kind of percentage back. Um, weirdly enough, as, as, as doing this podcast today, um, Kanye West was recently on Joe Rogan um, talking about innovating, as he always does. Uh, he's talking about the, the music industry. And um, and for those who don't know, um, Kanye recently posted his label contracts on, on Twitter uh, in an attempt to share, like kind of shine some light actually uh, on, on artists who feel kind of trapped within their contracts. Um, he, he used the word, and I, I hate to kind of repeat it, but he used the word rape when referring to, 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 to artists uh, and people listening to, to this right now. Believe me, those aren't, aren't my words. Uh, these are his, but he, he does believe that the artists do feel that way and sign into major labels. Um, do, do you think major labels need to start to consider or to kind of reconsider how they, they do business uh, and need to start looking at the artists as a, a partner in the industry and not just a way of making money? It's very difficult because, it, you know, these labels have been established for years and years and years. And to be frank, this is the way they've done it for years and years and years. And um, it's, it's hard because when you've got, you know, a character like Kanye West, he he obviously was not very happy with his label deal now, but uh, and I don't know what what the exact advance was, but he was paid millions at the beginning of that contract mm. as an advance. So it's a bit difficult saying, "Oh, I hate you." Oh, but by the way, thank you very much for um, I don't know what the figure was twenty million, hundred million, whatever it is. Um, uh, the the way I I educate. Um, uh, unsigned artists when they've got a record label deal and, and trying to sit them down and go through it. As I say, look, um, this advance is, is a bank loan um, and you've got to be able to pay off that bank loan before you start making money. Um, so you can have, you know, a million pound advance, but that's then got to last you until you can make enough money to be able to pay that money back. And then on top of that, the record label have got to be able to recoup all their costs they've put into you, um, including studio time, producer fees, um, PR, press, uh, videos, etc. So sometimes, actually, it's worth not having an advance um, because you've got a possibly better chance of recouping quicker to then start getting some royalties. Yeah, which is crazy because he, 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 he's went on record to say that he actually now loses money from his music. He doesn't actually make money from his music. It's a minus four million apparently per year. Um, mm-hmm. This is this is something that we've we've seen uh, a lot in terms of three sixty deals that I would I would like you to kind of touch upon today. The only reason for that mm-hmm. is, and especially for the listener, now a three sixty deal is something that gets offered offered quite often with a up and coming artist or a a younger artist. Uh, are you able to explain what one of those are and how someone can actually get trapped within them? Yeah, it's funny. Probably about four or five years ago, there was a big push from from labels to do three sixties, um, and a three sixty basically means that the the record label will not just only look or or company as it were will not just only look after your recorded music but they'll look after your publishing as well they will look after um, your live performance and your merchandise and occasionally um, they'll throw into the pot and they'll be your manager as well 
So basically every uh, revenue stream you can think of is covered by this one agreement. Now, um, again, as I said quite a few years ago now, um, people like you 2 and Madonna, I believe, signed 360 deals for millions and millions of pounds. Um, uh, but the whole premise was that uh, I think Live Nation, with the company particularly, were pushing for it. Um, you know, they then controlled everything. Um, now, if you are a up-and-coming independent artist, one of your biggest revenue streams, and I know right now it's gone, but is live performance. Mm. Um, so you do your live performance, you get paid a fee. Hopefully, you've got some form of merchandise that you can sell, even if it's you know a small gig. So, and that's where you can make some good money from and um whereas obviously selling music on via a streaming service is nominal money um so the record labels are saying well there's not going to be a lot of money in streaming anymore so i tell you what we'll take the they'll take your life and your your merchandise income as well um but there's been a big push against these sort of deals um and uh, unions in the UK, such as Musicians Union, are not overly happy um, with these types of deals because it does take away a lot of the income streams from the musicians. Um, and you have to really weigh up the pros and cons of whatever advance you're getting against you know, taking most of your revenue stream away. Yeah, for sure. I think I think a really good example of uh, this kind of thing um, uh, a documentary that 30 seconds to mars did uh, many years ago in regards to their deal um they had released two very successful studio albums they were just touring the third at the time and um they still even though how 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 successful they were um they still owed the label quite a lot because like you said, it is a bank loan at the end of the day. And if they don't make as much as the label are putting in, um, then unfortunately, sorry guys, your your payday is actually our payday. Um, you owe us, even though you're riding high, they, they were absolutely everywhere um, at the time. Um, saw that tour's headlining festivals. Um, it's crazy how you can look at that and go, they, they're, they're out of pocket. Hmm. Yeah, and that's why, as I said, there's a, there's a big anti-push against them um, because, yeah, you can get a very well-established artists do these deals. Um, but as I said, it's then weighing up the, 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 the cons and the pros of what the advance was. Um, in, in the advance, regardless of whether it's a 360 or not, you've got to say to yourself, can I live on this money for the next you know, one to two years whilst my music starts to build up? Um, because, as I said, realistically, uh, you know, 0.03p per stream, it's going to be very difficult for you to make money from master recordings anymore. Yeah, of course. Um, you, you've, of course, mentioned a, a few artists that are, are well known to the listener right now. We've, you've mentioned One Direction. I know me and you have had previous conversations about um, Kasabian and, and, and a few other m- massive artists. Um, do you see, um, of course, stop me if you, if you, if you can't really talk about this. Do, do, do you see anger in these artists about these kind of streaming services and about how much they would actually be making from them? Um, because like you said, it's what we're talking 
many years ago, people would go in, buy a, a CD or a cassette tape or anything like that and, and, and spend quite a lot of money. My Spotify is only costing me about, I think it's about £10 a month. I don't, I don't even look at it anymore. I don't even remember. Um, but I've got all this music in front of me, just unlimited amounts. Um, at what point does the artist think this isn't, this isn't right? Like, what, where is this going? Yeah, I, that's right. Again, to, to sound like an old man, um, when I first started in the music industry, um, there was a, a quite a famous uh, UK shop called Woolworths. Um, and uh, most people would go there to buy your music and you would buy a vinyl 12-inch album uh, at sort of around about the 10 to 15 pound mark. Um, and uh, and Woolworths was one of the sort of the biggest retailers for music. Um, and I was working for a music distributor at the time. And then, um, sadly, the, the, the company um, uh, went bust. Um, and, and we were like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen to the music industry? Because this is a massive retailer. All the record labels, whether you're an indie or a major, use this retailer. They made decent money from it. The artists made decent money from it. Um, and then, as we've mentioned earlier, technology then moves on. So you went, went from vinyl to sort of and a little bit of tape to then CD to then we've then gone to, to digital downloads and from digital downloads to streams. But sadly for the artists, the cuts have got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. So when you're selling a, a, a vinyl or a CD at £10, you know, you, you can... As an artist, they can make some reasonable money out of that ten pound once everyone's got a cut. But if you're if you're getting 0.3 pence a stream for every time it's streamed, how on earth do you make any money at all? Um, uh, and and that's why I say, and I know right now in this time of COVID, this is what is really you know hurting the um, musicians, you know, the world really is if you can't perform live, how can you make any money? Um, unless you are a very well-established, you know, singer-songwriter and you know that your publishing is going to bring in lots of income because your song's being played on lots of radio stations and was being synced or what have you. Um, so this is, yeah, this is the biggest struggle. And that's why, you know, sadly we're seeing, you know, venues being shut down in the UK and I'm sure by the end of the year, there's going to be a big fallout of a lot of musicians because they, they just can't afford to continue. Yeah, it's 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 a crazy one, really, because <laughs> I don't know. I think we're in an industry that is is forever changing, like you said. Um, and I know I know Taylor Swift isn't that old, really, um, but she 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 had that deal when she was 14, and and then back then it could have been a five six album deal, and and that would have been kind of the norm and nowadays we we don't see that uh where, where do you think we're going to be going to next because honestly um i, I live in a, a a center of a very kind of busy music city that bristol is and i am seeing venue after venue asking for help i am seeing artist after artist just cursing at exactly what's going on right now they really don't know where to turn and if they were going to renegotiate a contract today what do you think would have to be in there that they can just be like okay i can actually hold on to this and and, and have a little bit more yeah i mean um certain record labels um even if it's not a 360 deal 
will want to try and get in on some merchandise um, or some live performance. So it's looking at that percentage and making sure that that's as low as possible. So, you know, let's hope sometime next year we can all get back to live music again. Then you can then start making money again um, because that's money that doesn't go into the record label's back pocket. It goes into yours as the artist directly. Um, but yeah, going back to what record labels are going to be on the table, well, again, we've gone from, as you said, five, six album deals with Taylor Swift to 360 deals um, over a period of time. Um, and now most of the industry is a lot more cautious. Um, and unless you're an established artist or you're an established writer that everyone's crambling to try and get, um, your deal is more likely to be a, well, we'll give you a one single deal. And then if we then think that single is good, we'll give you another single deal. And if we think that's good, we maybe give you an EP deal. And if we think that EP is doing well, maybe we'll give you an album deal. Um, wow. You know, and, and that way they can hedge their bets. Mm. Um, they can then see how they, how those first couple of tracks do. If they do some good numbers, okay, it's worth investing in this. But, you know, those sort of deals, your advance is going to be quite low because they're only investing in one single. Um, yeah. So you can't expect thousands upon thousands of pounds for one single unless you are the next best thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a massive change to, to what the norm would have been 20 years ago. And it's just, it's crazy to think then. And, and, and one of the, the, the kind of biggest changes, and I know it's something else you do, you do cover, is a um, social media deals which uh of course there's there's where we I, I believe we're still in kind of that learning phase of, of of what it can be and what social media is and what it's kind of going to um just a little bit of kind of history for the listener then in kind of recent years influencers and musicians have been under fire for stating that a, a product or an event um that they are posting about is a, a sponsored or paid advert this is something that um, the the competition and market authority here in the UK have been cracking down on, especially on Instagram. Um, according to the Guardian, the, the likes of Rio Aura, Ellie Golden last year made a, a formal commitment uh, to the CMA along with fourteen other celebrities to clearly state if they've been paid or receive any gifts or loans or products um, when making a post on the, uh, the, the Facebook, uh, owned platform and actually on, on Facebook as well. Um, you specialize in agency and influencer agreements, uh, as well as kind of endorsement sponsorship agreements. Yeah. Is there a particular reason why these influencers slash musicians don't want to make their partnerships kind of public uh because we can all we can all spot an ad uh but then again it's probably a, a, it's it's another great way for them to make money i guess especially in this time um yeah. so, so, so what is that why is there such a battle in there no um in the uk um we've got an organization called the asa which is the advertising standards authority um and uh, they now insist that uh, if you are, you know, whether you're a celebrity or an artist or an influencer, um, whatever form, if you are posting on social media and you've been paid to say a particular thing or promote a certain thing, then, um, you know, either you put hashtag paid or you put hashtag ad or you put hashtag 
uh, END, I think, uh, uh, for endorsement or something like that, um, to basically indicate to, to the public, you know, I'm being paid to say this. Um, uh, because I think quite a few years ago now, there was various cases where, um, you know, celebrities said, oh, yeah, this is brilliant, this is brilliant. Um, and then people were worried, well, why all of a sudden? Why are you talking about that? And what's going on there? And um, bizarrely enough, someone actually took them to court and then they said, oh, no, I got paid to say that. Well, you know, why and how and what happened? Um, and so, yeah, there's now a big push in the UK particularly. Um, but it's fascinating because, as you say, uh, you know, I'm an influencer. That's kind of my bread and butter. Um, the whole idea is that someone pays me to say something about a product. Yeah. Um, and there's big money in it. Um, I'm quite, you know, um, privileged to work with some uh, very diverse influencers, but, you know, and I've seen some of their contracts and the money that they get paid to say certain things or endorse certain things is hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of money to be made from it um, and it ain't going away. No, for um, sure. And to be honest, it might be, and <laughs> crazy enough, it might be the only way some music- musicians can actually make that money back or kind of what they owe. Like you said, it, these deals, um, uh, again, I, I'm not going to um, kind of uh, mention names or products or, any, or anything, but it can be a case of uh, a million pounds or dollars to literally have a 15 second story on Instagram it will take them less than a minute to do uh, just to make sure yeah. they've got the right thing or format, done the right stuff. You, mm. If you can get to that point as a musician, then that would inevitably be the the biggest money maker you've got going right now. Um, yeah. And I do believe that's why a lot of these um, acts now see themselves as brands um, selling perfume selling whatever it may be um Mm -hmm. and uh, i do think a lot of up-and-coming artists may fall into kind of maybe weird kind of traps and 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 maybe get themselves in situations where they 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 don't want to be promoted a product but it's the only thing that they can do to uh to kind of get something yeah i mean um aside from making money in live music the holy grail for any a uh, singer-songwriter is to get what they call a synchronization, um, which is where someone likes your music um, and they then want to put it on an advert. Um, because uh, if you happen to have written the music and you're performing it, you get double bubble. Um, because they have to be the brand, um, let's say it's car brand, a car brand will have to come to you and they'll have to get clearance from the master recording owners, which is often the record label, and then they'll have to get clearance from the publisher because they're using the lyrics within the songs because you've got mm-hmm. two different types of copyright. Um, and these deals can be, again, I'm making figures up, 30, 40, 50, 100 grand per, per form of copyright. Um, and if, you're the, if you've performed the track and you've written the track, um, even after publishers and record labels have taken their cut, you can earn some decent money out of that. Um, they could probably set you up for the rest of the year. Um, so these are sort of this is what publishers particularly are always keen to try and get and try and get brands behind the artists. Um, and then aside from that, as you say, there's there's endorsements. So 
if I'm doing a, uh, a music video, if I can get some brands to endorse me, if I can wear a particular type of trainers or I can have a car driving past or whatever it may be, um, that again will raise the profile of you know of the artist, but also raise the profile of the brand. Um, there's those sort of synergies that you can make decent money from. Um, I mean, I, I always advise if you're you know a, an up and coming artist and you're making a music video and you know okay, it might be a you know a budget music video, but I say, well, look, why don't you find your nearest um, independent boutique you know uh, fashion shop of some description and go to them and say, look, I'm making a music video. Can I you know borrow some of your clothes and then I can then you know, at the end of the video, do a credit to where I found them or something like that. You know, it's sort of being a little bit more initiative and thinking, right, how can I just get a limited amount of sponsorship? I might not be able to get the big brands behind me because they don't know me yet, but on a local level, maybe I can just push something um, and just help to create a brand. No, for sure. I think uh, I think it's a great idea for for them to kind of do a little bit of research and uh, and see what more they can get out of it. It can be anything from clothing to uh, I remember I did something with like a, a local uh, milkshake shop once, um, and it's it's yeah. it's it is what it is. Like if someone can mention you or name something after your your brand slash band name slash artist name whatever it may be um and you can get a, a good contract in place where it actually doesn't cost you anything a lot of the times uh, these people all they're kind of looking for is is, is a mention um and yeah. if you've got that outreach um then a thousand percent i'd i'd also recommend that i think that's great advice i mean just as an aside but something amusing um years ago when i was at uni i used to be a radio dj um uh, for an independent radio station and uh you know as soon as i got the gig i'm like right well i'm gonna go down to the local high street and find in this instance it happened to be a, a local independent um pizza restaurant told them i was the radio presenter and then they gave me loads of vouchers which i could then use to then have for prizes and, and that kind of stuff so it's just That's thinking awesome. outside the box a little bit and yeah. and you know using your brain and uh and then as you say you then create a brand and you help both parties no for sure sure i uh i do i do think it's a little bit um harder right now in terms of uh covid and of course to, to, to people listen to this me and luke are recording this in november of 2020 um i hope if you stumble upon this in the future um there's a, yeah, yeah, you're on your way to a festival, maybe, or yeah. um, you're walking um, along the high street with shops open and everything's booming and what it is. But even even in these times, there is so much potential on social media to drop a DM. I don't know why artists these days aren't messaging anyone they see that they feel like I can definitely do something with. And if they're unsure about, um, maybe they're kind of in the midst of just, just talking to them and, and they're unsure where it goes to reach out to someone like yourself and say, they're offering this for this amount, or they want this much percentage of my potential, whatever. Um, because mm. you just don't want to get yourself in a situation, um, which you'll regret, uh, and it's probably not going to be a huge thing on your career um, but if you do come across something that might be a bit major and you think you know what this is a massive opportunity to me to actually reach out, reach out to a, a local solicitor or, or to someone like yourself who's, who's an expert in this 
yeah, I, I, um, I actually make a purpose um, uh, on my um, on my Twitter page. I have a phrase on it, and it says, uh, "Don't sign sign a contract without dropping me a DM." Um, and that's not just because it's you know it's you know, I'm a lawyer, but actually it's because too often people contact me and say, "I've just signed this contract. I don't think I should have done it. Can I have a chat with you?" No. No, because nine times out of ten, that contract is just bulletproof and there's no way of you just getting out of it. I'd much rather someone give me a call or drop me a DM or whatever and say, hi, I've been offered this. Is this the going rate? Is this right? You know, should I do it? Should I not? Um, And get the right advice early on. And that way, you know that you've made the right decision rather than sign something just because it was a bit of paper and you've got to be excited about it. Yeah, for sure. I guess going on from uh, from you giving advice to somebody else to uh, potentially advice for your younger self. Um, looking back now, <laughs> you've 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 worked with uh, the 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 big labels, with the big artists, the the BBC. Um, for someone potentially looking to to, to follow uh, in the the Luke English footsteps, uh, what would you uh, what would you recommend? Uh, I think I'd probably sound like. Um uh a dory from uh from finding nemo where she says just keep swimming or just keep going just keep <laughs> swimming i think is the phrase you know and i think you know for a lot of people a lot of us in whatever industry we're in it's like oh it's you know do i give up on this do i give up being a musician do i give up trying to make money in the live industry or whatever and and it's just you know just keep going because you don't know what's around the corner i mean you know right now um as, as you mentioned, uh, I'm running my own um, media law firm. Um, but, you know, the experience that I've had in the past has helped me to be able to be where I am today. Um, and I know I couldn't have done it straight out of law school. Um, and I needed to have worked with big indie labels and major uh, record labels, as well as television and film companies beforehand, before I could even contemplate doing what I'm doing now. Um, and that's hard because obviously you want you want it and you want it now. Yeah. Um, so it's been it's been a long time coming. But um, you know, I look back at it and I don't make there's no regrets. It's like, well, this is this has been good. It's a good experience. And you know, whether it's good or bad, ho- hopefully in anybody's career, you can look back and say, well, I learned something from that. Uh, even if it wasn't a good experience, I learned I won't do that again. Or I've learned actually that's really good. I should keep doing that. No, for sure. I love that. Well, if there's a, if there's anything you feel like I may have uh, missed, I don't mean you've been talking about this for a few days now. Um, the, the kind of platform is yours um, to to potentially mention anything else that you feel like an up and coming artist needs to hear in in, um, in terms of this day. Yeah, I, I I have the the privilege to be able to do um, some guest speaking or guest lecturing um, at universities and uh, music academies and one of the things i speak about which always shocks even the professors and tutors is uh producer agreements um so uh what any artist needs to understand is that if you go into a studio and you record a track actually you don't own that track and this is the shocker (laughs) because it, under UK law and UK copyright law, um, if I'm the producer of that track, I actually own the copyright in that track until 
there is a contract between me and either the artist or the record label or the management of the artist that says, I give you the copyright on of that produced track back to you. Wow. Um, uh, one of my jobs when I was at Sony Music was to draft and negotiate the producer agreements um, for a lot of their artists. Um, and the key there was to basically make sure that you'd agreed the fee, that it was signed, and that there was no issues before the artist went into the, the uh, studio to record. Um, uh, once I was set up an independent, um, I had a situation where uh, I advised this to a music manager. A music manager said, yeah, yeah, no, it'll be fine. I've told the producer this is what the fee is, and I'm making figures up, 500 quid. Um, the artist went into the studio. Um, the producer heard the track, really liked the artist, really liked the track, um, and then said to the manager, uh, I will sign a producer agreement, but I want £2,000 now, not 500 quid." And because... The, the, they hadn't signed the agreement and the producer owned the track, nothing that the music manager could do. Um, wow. We had to either pay the money or don't get the track. Now, I'm you know, not all producers by any means are like this. A lot of producers are <clears throat> a lot more user-friendly. They know how the business works and they're happy to, to be paid whatever they're paid, whether it's a royalty or um, a buyout. But at the end of the day, it's the producer who owns that track until you sort out that contract. Um, and if you are looking to go to record labels and say, you know, hi, guys, do you want to sign me up? You need those bits of paper. Um, a record label won't touch you unless you've got a producer agreement in your hand proving that you own the masters of those tracks that you've produced. Wow. Um, and that, I'm afraid, is <laughs> the bombshell for today. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I imagine it also works with um, video. Um, a, a kind of a, a cinematographer or a videographer, um, unless you've got a contract that says, um, I, the actual, I guess, the person behind, uh, sorry, in front of the lens can say, um, this is, I own this. I guess they own it until, until set up wise. Yeah, I, I did a uh, um, uh, music video agreement again at Sony and um, you would uh, send a contract to the uh, video production company um, because uh, as a company um, within that, you've got their own directors, their producers, their cameramen, their sound engineers, you know, whoever. Um, and collectively that company owns the copyright within that. So Again, without that bit of paper, um, even if it's just, you know, um, a one-man band producer with a, you know, a handy cam, you know, GoPro or whatever, um, legally speaking, they're the person who's produced that video. Um, even if you, you know, you've sung all the songs, you've performed everything and done everything on the, on the, the, the video. And even so, if you've paid them. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. People go, well, I've paid my producer, so I own it. Well, no, you don't, because you don't actually have a bit of paper that says you own it. Um, so you can pay them as much as you want um, until that, that there's a, a clause in the contract that says the copyright's back to you. You don't own it. Wow. Um, what a, uh... So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a way to kind of... Uh... End this. I guess to be to be honest with you, I I know a lot of people have like learned a lot um, from from what you've 
discussed today um if they want to kind of get in touch with you and on any kind of platform this is your chance then luke plug yourself as much as possible because i'll be honest with you this is probably going to be the most important bit so go right ahead (laughs) so the the easiest way to to find me is uh on my website uh which is english-media.com um but you will also find me uh, on Twitter again at uh, English Media, uh, and you can find me on LinkedIn and on Instagram again under, under my name, which is Luke English. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, drop me a DM, drop me an email, um, give me a call, and uh, let's see if uh, I can help you. Before you sign anything. <laughs> Before you sign anything. Don't yeah. A massive thank you to Luke English and for more interviews, AMAs, tips and tricks and exclusive content, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at The Famous Co. That's at The Famous Co. Tap that subscribe or follow button. My name is Zaid and we'll see you all next time. You've been listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast powered by The Famous Company. If you're an independent artist or music industry professional, for more information, head to www.thefamouscompany.com.